As you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, I want you to consider a question similar, similar to the one we considered last week. Last week we considered the question, what do you do when you're afraid? To whom do you turn when you're afraid? The related question today is, to whom do you turn when you find out your own insufficiency? When you find out that your self-sufficiency is not sufficient. Self-sufficiency means you think you can do it all on your own, that you don't need help from anyone. All you need is you. And I have a lot of stories demonstrating the limits of my own self-sufficiency. Don't you? Here's one of them. When I was 16 years old, my mom had got me a new car, a burgundy four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee, and I was really excited about testing it out. I couldn't wait to see what it would do in a bunch of mud, get it all nasty and dirty. And so one day after a good rain the day before, all by myself, I pulled off the road and started living the dream of the 4 by 4 And so I want to say I had fun for about 30 seconds <laughs> before everything started going downhill. And I mean downhill as in my tires sunk down into the mud, a deep puddle. It was more like a ditch, honestly. And I couldn't get out. Water started seeping in through the floor, and I knew this was really bad. So I did what any self-sufficient teenage guy might have done. I got out of the Jeep. I got into the ditch at the front of the Jeep and started to lift with all my might. (laughs) And you won't believe what happened next. Actually, you, you probably will. Nothing happened at all. It didn't budge, and so through tears, recognizing my own insufficiency, I called my mom, and I told her what happened. And my self-sufficiency had completely failed me in that moment. My ability to to know what to do when I'm going four-wheeling and then able to get out of it, I needed somebody to help me. Now, because this life is filled with sin and trials, it is a guarantee that at some point or another you will find out your own limits of sufficiency. You'll realize you, you, you don't have what it takes, that you need something more, that you need help. Your self-sufficiency will let you, let, let you down. If you're at a certain age, you may not have recognized that yet with, with the full force at which it hits you. You need something more. In the great scheme of things, my example is not a very bad situation, not a very serious situation. My life wasn't in danger. And it's nothing compared to other times in my life or perhaps your life that you have gone through, that you've experienced. But it does demonstrate something for us. Whether we face small difficulties or great ones, in this world we will need help and we cannot do it on our own. Our self-sufficiency is limited. Sometimes you learn this quickly and easily and other times you have to hit rock bottom before you call out for help. And that, as we see today, was the case with Jonah. He thought he was fine. Everything seemed to be going according to his plan, at least for a, a moment, He found a ship and was going to sail away from where the Lord had called him, but that all came to a quick end. His self-determination turned to despair as he saw his imminent death. And it was only then that Jonah called out to the Lord for help. 
And when he finally did, he learned the truth that we'll see this morning. This truth, call to the Lord in your distress and he will save you. Call to the Lord in your distress and he will answer you. So consider for yourselves this morning, are you facing the challenges of broken relationships? Financial difficulties? You're feeling exhausted from just life and work. Maybe you're suffering from physical sickness or pain. In all of these things or whatever you're facing, call to the Lord in your distress and He will answer you. And we know, we have good theology, so we know that this doesn't necessarily mean all your problems will be solved. They won't be. You'll continue to face trials. This life is a journey filled with many trials and sorrow and pain, but it doesn't mean that the Lord won't hear you in your prayer. He will hear you and He will be with you and for you in your time of need. Really, all these physical and earthly struggles remind us of something greater, our spiritual need. And to meet that need, we will either turn to worthless idols or we will turn to the one true God. So that seems like a simple choice, doesn't it? Turning to worthless idols or to the Lord. It's like asking, would I like to have a worthless piece of junk or a brand new car? Would I like to have worthless friends or faithful friends? There's, there's no decision necessary there. It's so clear. In my distress, will I call upon worthless idols or will I call upon the Lord? Look at our passage with me. I'm going to begin reading at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll read through chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought, me, you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Dear Father, we pray that you would now fix our our minds and our hearts upon your sufficiency and the sufficiency of your word. Place our confidence not in our own ability to, to hear your word or to, to well up faith within ourselves. Put not our confidence in uh, me, the preacher, or the words that I speak, but we pray that you would place our confidence firmly upon the shoulders of Christ and his word to us. Feed us, we pray. Amen. Well, up to this story, the sailors had been through 
a storm like few others they had encountered. They had survived it, but not without losing one of their shipmates. They had thrown Jonah over the side into the sea, and the storm ceased. But for Jonah, his struggle was just beginning. It was the Lord who had commanded him to arise and go to the great city of Nineveh to proclaim judgment against them. It was the Lord who hurled this great wind upon the sea, and now it was the Lord who appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Just pause there. Can you imagine being in the stomach of a fish for three days and three nights? As a child, maybe it was from the Bible storybooks I'd seen or videos I'd seen, I pictured Jonah kind of just sitting down in this nice roomy area, you know, just kind of hanging out and waiting until the Lord would rescue him. But stomachs of fish aren't really roomy, I wouldn't think. Uh, Not like a cold, damp living room, but maybe imagine sitting in a tent with a bag of old seafood next to you, and then the tent collapses on you, And you just have to sit there for three days. Such a miserable place to be. And yet, in the midst of this miserable situation, Jonah gives thanks to the Lord for his salvation. But notice in the midst of this, the Lord is in complete control of all of this. He had given Jonah enough slack in the line to feel like he could run free. But here, the Lord begins reeling Jonah in. This passage is bookended by reminders on the front and the back of the sovereignty and the power of the Lord. In verse one, seven, chapter 117, the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah, and in 2.10, the Lord commands the fish to spit him out. In between, while Jonah is in the stomach of the fish, he prays, giving thanks to the Lord for his salvation. So in these verses, we hear the story of how Jonah was rescued, even though he didn't deserve it. We read Jonah's thoughts. We read Jonah's interpretation of the events that resulted in his deliverance. And then we read a lesson that that Jonah has learned from this ordeal. The summary of what happened is in verse 2. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. We've been tracking Jonah's downward descent ever since Yahweh commanded him to go to Nineveh. He went down He went westward, but he was also traveling downward. He went down to Joppa, then down into the ship, then down into the inner parts of the ship. And now he continues his descent all the way down, seemingly to Shale, the land of the dead. It was Jonah who was going down away from the presence of the Lord. But notice also it was the Lord who was bringing Jonah down. Jonah himself acknowledges the discipline from the Lord. It wasn't ultimately the sailors who threw him out of the ship. Who was it? It was the Lord who cast him out of the ship. Jonah acknowledges this. The waves of the sea, the breakers of the sea, to whom did they belong? They were the Lord's breakers. And the Lord sent them over Jonah's head. In verse 4 we read, what was going through Jonah's mind? He thinks... I have been cast out from before your eyes. Oh, how I wish I could see your holy temple once again. Your translation might make it sound like Jonah is hopeful that he will again see the holy temple of the Lord, that he thinks he will see it again soon. But I take this phrase to mean Jonah longs for being able to see 
the holy temple of the Lord again. But he doesn't think he will get there. He longs, in other words, again for the presence of the Lord. But he thinks he's totally cut off from ever going back there. Now notice a couple of things here. In the midst of Jonah's sin, first, he has forgotten that he is the one who ran away from the presence of the Lord. It wasn't the Lord who had driven Jonah away. It was Jonah who had fled. And this is always the case with those people who belong to Jesus Christ. This is always the case with God's people. If you belong to God, if you are a part of God's covenant people, then the Spirit of God always dwells within you. There is nowhere you can flee from His presence. But sometimes we feel like we are far from the Lord, don't we? It may be just a season of spiritual dullness or challenge or trial. It may actually be because of our sin that we feel distant from Him. But one thing is for sure, for those who belong to God in Christ Jesus, the Lord has not left us. He will not leave you. But notice what else Jonah has forgotten. He has forgotten, at least up to this point, he's beginning to remember it. Jonah has forgotten the joy which comes from being in the presence of the Lord. This is just about as close as we get to any kind of regret or repentance in this prayer. Have you noticed that? This is a prayer of thanks to God for saving him, but not really a prayer of confession, of repentance. But we do see something of a regret or a desire, a longing to see God's holy temple, and in that he is longing to be in the presence of his God. Jesus once told a parable that sounds kind of like this. The prodigal son decided he could make it on his own and he would be much, have much more fun living on his own than living with his family. So he asks the father for a part of his inheritance and he took off to live the party lifestyle. It was great for a little while. And then you remember what happened. He was all out of money, so he took a job feeding pigs. Do you know how desperate you have to be to desire pigs' food? That's how desperate he was. He longed after the pig's food. But then he remembered his father's house. He remembered the joy of dwelling in his father's house, of being in the presence of his father and his family. He longed to be back with his family. How good he had it then. If only I could go back, he says. And think about how this is true with you as well. Isn't it often in the midst of sin that you somehow come to your senses and you recall what it could be instead of what it is? Maybe you're angry with a loved one and you're grumpy and bitter. You're thinking of ways you can really jab it to them. And then suddenly it hits you how happy it makes you feel when you two are at peace. You neglect time with the Lord in prayer and in reading His Word. But then all of a sudden you remember the sweetness of fellowship with God. How good it is to enjoy His presence. Or many who grew up gathering together with God's people in church, but no longer do. They often look back on that time of gathering with, with God's people with great joy, being in God's presence and with His people. You see, sin is deceptive. It makes promises that it can't keep. It promises joy, but it only gives you fleeting 
pleasure. It promises power, but it only leaves you helpless. So Jonah, in his rebellion, in his sin, thought that freedom was running away from the Lord. He was deceived by his own sin. So brothers and sisters, children, teens, listen and take this to heart. Sin promises you many, many things, but it can never deliver on those promises. Sooner or later, the consequences will show you the truth and it won't be pretty. So instead, long for the presence of God. Long for joy in Christ. Long that you would be happy in Jesus above all else. Jonah longs to see the temple of the Lord once again, but he has little hope of that. The water keeps coming in over around him. It envelops him, surrounds him, he says. He keeps on sinking. Even to the point, he says, weeds wrapped around my head down to the roots of the mountains. The image he gives us is the earth's bars closing upon him forever, sinking down into death itself. He was moments away from death. He considered himself as good as dead. And then at the last moment, when all hope was lost, the Lord rescued Jonah. Verse 6. But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. In verse 1, the author said he prayed to the Lord his God. Here Jonah says, the Lord my God brought up my life from the pit. When the Lord commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, he silently went the other way. When the sailors were praying to their various gods, Jonah slept. When the captain exhorted Jonah, pray to your God that he might save us, he still refused. It wasn't until his life was ebbing away, it wasn't until he hit rock bottom, that Jonah decided to pray. Verse 7, In the feebleness of my spirit, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Jonah had forgotten it was he who ran away from the presence of the Lord. He'd forgotten the joy of the presence of the Lord, but now he remembers the Lord. As his life is passing away, his thoughts turn to the faithfulness of God. He remembers the works of the Lord. He remembers the compassion of the Lord. And in Jonah's remembrance, it doesn't matter how far away he is from the temple of the Lord, his prayer still rises up before him. Remember the depths of Jonah's rebellion here. He had rejected the word of the Lord to him, his command to him, his direct command. He decided ultimately he'd rather die than to turn back from his rebellion. But at the last moment, he utters a prayer to the Lord and God saves him. So God's hearing and answering Jonah's prayer is instructive to us. Do you ever feel like you just can't pray to the Lord? Maybe like it wouldn't be right with the way you've been living or the sin that you just committed. It wouldn't be right for you to go to him in prayer and to take advantage of him in some way. Maybe you're thinking he will resent you in some way. Maybe you'd feel like one who only goes to him in prayer when you're in need. But Jonah's situation reminds us it doesn't matter how long it's been since you prayed. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned since you prayed, how rebellious you've been since you prayed, how little you deserve to be heard. Remember the Lord and lift up your prayer to Him. Call out to the Lord in your distress and He will hear you. 
In his compassion, he will answer you. Now look at Jonah's conclusion found in verses 8 and 9. He contrasts those who worship vain idols, literally worthless vanities, vain vanities, nothing. He contrasts these vain idols with those who worship the Lord. He says, those who pay regard to worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In other words, by clinging to things that won't save them, that can't save them, that will do nothing to deliver them, they are leaving the only hope that they have of steadfast love. Comes back again to the sufficiency of what will and will not save you. Idols are inadequate to save you. There are things in this world that make promises to you to deliver you, to give you joy, to give you life, and they will always fail. And one of those idols is the idol of self, our own self-dependency, our own self-sufficiency. That God shows us our own inadequacy is a great mercy to us. Have you ever considered that? Your insufficiencies in this life should make you consider your spiritual insufficiencies. Now, the word can't will sometimes spark different emotions in people. Like if someone tells me I can't do something, that's going to give me a lot of drive. You can't beat me in a race. Oh, yeah? I'll show you just how strong and determined I am. I can beat you. For others, it might totally deflate you. You work hard at something and the words come to your mind, I can't do it. Well, have you considered, though, how these words, I can't, point to our own insufficiency in life? And unless and until you admit you can't do it in earthly things, you'll never be able to admit you can't do it in heavenly things. There's a a relationship there between your own sufficiency in earthly things and recognizing your own insufficiency in heavenly things. Those who pay regard to worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Perhaps Jonah is thinking of the sailors who prayed to their own gods. They are nothing gods to save them from the storm, and they only received help when they turned away from their idols to the one true God. But Jonah says, I will give thanks to you, Lord. I will make sacrifices of thanks to you. I will pay the vows that I have made. Salvation is of the Lord. Now consider what it means that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. First, it means that God alone can save. The word there means deliverance or salvation. Vain idols cannot deliver. They are nothing. The Lord alone can deliver. He alone saves. Second, salvation is of the Lord means that He saves based upon His sovereign mercy. Not because someone deserves it, Not because someone is more worthy than someone else. Salvation of the Lord means He alone makes the determination of who will receive mercy and who will not. To Moses, the Lord says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy and compassion upon whom I will show compassion. We've seen this already throughout the story. God shows mercy to the sailors who don't deserve it. They are outside of the people of God. 
They worship vain idols themselves. It's only after God delivers them that they worship Him. God doesn't deliver them because they worship God. And we've seen this with Jonah, the rebellious prophet. Does Jonah deserve mercy? Has Jonah somehow merited favor from his God? He has called out to him for mercy, but only as he is despairing of life, only as a last resort. Only when he hits rock bottom does he cry out to the Lord. He doesn't deserve it, but in his compassion, the Lord shows him a surprising mercy. It seems Jonah has learned his lesson, but we are yet to see what will become of Nineveh. God has shown mercy to the sailors and to Jonah. What now will he do to Nineveh, that great city? And will Jonah now follow the Lord's call to proclaim judgment on them? Well, brothers and sisters, you have also seen God's sovereign mercy at work in your own story. Think about how God has delivered you. You were caught up in your own rebelliousness when the Lord saved you. What did your rebelliousness look like? For some of you, your rebelliousness looked like loose living, like the prodigal son indulging in sin, indulging in the fleeting pleasures of sin. But for others of you, it looked like clean living. But it was really just a rebelliousness of self-righteousness. Priding yourselves on yourself being good enough to earn God's favor, to merit His favor. Some of you turn to idols of self-indulgence and others of you turn to idols of self-determination. But regardless of which idols you chose, they were still idols, worthless nothings which cannot deliver. But the Lord brought your life up from the pit. He rescued you, not because of anything you did, but because of what He did for you in His compassion. For Christ went down further than Jonah. Christ didn't merely come close to death, but descended into death, into the grave. He actually and literally died. He had done nothing to flee the presence of the Lord. And yet on the cross, His suffering for your sin and for mine was so unbearable that he felt like he had lost the Father's love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, hear this good news of God's compassionate love for you in Christ at just the right time while you were in the midst of your sin. Christ died for you to deliver you from death. Brothers and sisters, Your sins are forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He paid for them all on the cross. Now, the sad truth is that we still still sin. Isn't that a sad truth, brothers and sisters? We still sometimes gravitate to our own idols of self-sufficiency or self-indulgence. Looking back over your week, Did you not turn to idols of self-sufficiency or self-indulgence? Maybe this morning. In a variety of ways. 
Perhaps it was anger because you deserve better than others have treated you. Or because of what you have received in life and what you think you deserve. Maybe you have fallen into lust because it promises to make you happy and you deserve a little happiness in life. Maybe it is pride because you couldn't help but compare yourself to someone else in self-righteousness. And friends, this is where the truth of the gospel rings out more beautifully than ever. As we sang this morning, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. This is the truth of the gospel, and this is the truth of Jonah's story. It wasn't Jonah's faith that saved him ultimately. It was the grace of God chasing after him. God's compassion refusing to let Jonah go. We see how this phrase, salvation of the Lord, applies to us. And for that we should give thanks. We should live lives of gratitude. But consider, brothers and sisters, that we don't yet see how it will apply to others we know. Will this compassion you've been shown now move you to tell others of God's love? You know others who trust in vain idols instead of the one true God. What will we see in our story in Jonah is that although Jonah is happy to receive mercy for himself, he is pouring out praises of thanks to God for salvation. He is not yet willing to extend that mercy to others. So what about us, brothers and sisters? Will we hoard God's compassion for ourselves? Or will we proclaim to others this God of surprising mercies? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would make it effective in our hearts so that we would turn from vain idols to serve you, the living God. Lord, we pray that whatever trial or distress we are going through now, you would help us to cling to you in faith, that we would call to you in prayer, knowing that you will answer, knowing that you love to hear the prayers of your people. Father, overwhelm us with thankfulness for your mercy to us, your grace to us, we are totally undeserving of. Move us toward gratitude that we would move towards others in compassion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.